Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Rene Vangustin, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look back on Hong Kong's first year in the business of SPACs, or special purpose acquisition companies. We'll also look at the latest signals that Ant Group could be coming back into favor in Beijing and what that might mean. We'll start with SPACs, which arrived in Hong Kong last year with lots of hype, but finished 2022 on more of a whimper. As a quick review, SPACs are listed shell companies filled with cash that merge with real companies in a form of backdoor IPO. They were all the rage in the U.S. for a few years, and Hong Kong hoped to tap into that craze by entering the business at the start of 2022. But fast forward a year later, with only 15 SPAC applications submitted in Hong Kong all of last year. What's more, just five of those actually got listed. Of course, last year's miserable market probably had something to do with the less than stellar performance. So. Renee, what's your assessment of this situation? Are are these、uh, relatively small numbers what you were expecting, or were other factors at play in in the Hong Kong SPAC launch last year? Well, I'm not too sure. I mean, from the beginning, I was a bit skeptical、um, about how well it could do in the then current economic environment. On one hand, on the second hand. Um, taking into consideration what was going on in the markets, and then finally、uh, what was going on at that specific time in the spark market in the U.S., which which was already going through serious difficulties,、um, and kind of a reassessment of what sparks could actually do, how many could be successful.、Um, With、uh, you know most people in the market believing that、uh, there had just been too many spikes that、uh, that had been created in the United States and it was it has become pretty much a fad to some extent and、uh, and then Hong Kong、uh, jumped into the fray and I think Singapore as well tried so it's、uh, these were not necessarily、uh, the best times to、um, you know. Start efforts like that, and、uh, and expect that there would be not just an avalanche of、uh, the number in, of spikes, but but a large number of spikes that would become successful. The most important thing to remember about spikes is, and and obviously people learned that pretty much over the last twelve fifteen months, is that. Creating a spark, especially when interest rates were very low and there was a lot of cheap money around,、uh, was a relatively easy affair. But then you have to get an acquisition target, and the acquisition target has to be ideally, you know, a high-quality company and a company that that has a real great future ahead of itself. And that's where I think a lot of sparks in the U.S. failed. Obviously, interest rates. Then started to go up, and that applies to Hong Kong as well. So that didn't help. But、um, 
you know, it's not just about creating SPACs. It's about finding targets, acquisition targets that make sense. And that's where I think a lot of SPACs actually failed over time. Yeah, well, actually, none of the Hong Kong companies, uh, the Hong Kong SPACs, I should say, have even done an, an acquisition yet. I mean, we can move on to the sort of next question. What do you see happening for this year? I mean, uh, Hong Kong is off to one of the best starts it's seen in, in quite a long time, the, the stock market is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that'll help? Uh, you know, there was also a, a bit of discussion about how the Hong Kong SPAC market was just so, you know, there were a lot of limitations on it. I, people couldn't trade in them. You had to buy huge blocks of stock. It was basically only open mm-hmm. to the biggest institutional investors, you know, very conservative. Given the strong start we've seen to this year, for Hong Kong at least, uh, how do you sort of see things playing out in in 2023? Well, first of all, when you talk about the Hong Kong market, uh, and especially if you look at it uh, with a historical perspective, the regulators in Hong Kong and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the SFC have always been fairly conservative in terms of allowing or not allowing uh, companies to come and list in Hong Kong uh, pretty much on the basis that they always wanted to protect mostly retail investors, really. I think that like in the many places on earth, they always assumed that the big guys were able to fend for themselves. So that's all fair. <laughs> and then, you know, that's one of the reasons why historically uh, Alibaba didn't list in Hong Kong in the first place. They went to the U.S. and then over time, the rules were somewhat relaxed. And I think that the, they just took pretty much the same approach with respect to SPACs. It's unclear to me that they would uh, change the rules very quickly to make it more accessible to pretty much just about every investor. And especially in the light of, you know, what happened to the SPAC market in the U.S. But, you know, I always like to go back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. It's about the the acquisition targets. Can you find companies and in, in what number that are good, solid companies that will make the uh, the SPAC a success at the end of the day. I assume that because it, we're looking at Hong Kong here, uh, the targets would be to some extent uh, probably Southeast Asian companies and, and maybe some of the uh, uh, Chinese mainland companies that are already, you know, smaller ones that are already, say, public in, in Hong Kong and so on. So... I don't know. I mean, uh, it it will take time. They could potentially also acquire uh, through the BVI mechanism some of the unlisted companies in in main, from mainland today. Hmm. But that would uh, require approvals by those companies from the CSRC in China and so on. I don't think it, it it's a very easy environment. And even if you find acquisition targets. The um, economic environment is still fairly uncertain in China and in Southeast Asia as well. So I would think that some of them are going to be extremely careful and they're not going to jump on just any company to try and get a deal done. Okay. All right. I guess uh, the the answer to the question is uh, we'll have to sort of wait and see. Um, 
I would imagine we'll probably see. How how long do they have? They have like a two or three year uh, window to to find an acquisition target. Do you know what that is? I'm not too sure about Hong Kong specifically. In the U.S., it's two years. Mm-hmm. In some cases, SPACs have been able to uh, obtain an extension mm-hmm. of a few months. I think up to six months. But but then that's about it. Yeah. Okay. So I guess there's still some time, but. I would think we'll probably see our first one maybe this year, but we'll have to see how the markets go. Yeah, I would assume that there will be some that will happen this year, but not a lot. Okay, uh, next we'll go on to uh, our second topic of the day, which is the latest signals that are coming out of uh, Ant Group, which uh, most people out there probably know began as the financial arm of e-commerce giant Alibaba, but more recently it's trying to assert its independence. That independence trend was at the center of one of last week's biggest news items, which saw the company say it was no longer controlled by Alibaba's colorful but also quite controversial founder, Jack Ma. And then there was another uh, big piece of news on Ant, which was that Ant said its consumer credit arm got the regulatory green light to boost its registered capital by about 1 billion yuan or $150 million. So... That appeared to show that that unit is also probably going to bring in new investors soon. So, Renee, the question to you is, uh, both of these developments seem to show that Ant may be regaining some favor with Beijing, which is, of course, the opposite of how things were a couple of years ago when Beijing effectively quashed their IPO at the 11th hour. First, I guess, do you sort of uh, interpret it this way? And if so, you know, what's driving the, the change of heart here? Well, uh, that, yeah, that seems to be the case that uh, at least from on the regulatory side, things have eased up somewhat. Now, we also have to remember that uh, the end of today, or at least what is there today, is, is much smaller than what end was two years ago when they were ready to go IPO. The other thing that we also have to remember is that, yes, I mean, Jack Ma made what I would call controversial remarks. I think some people would call it uh, worse than that, but, <laughs> uh, which obviously didn't help and, and seems seemed to have been the trigger, at least on the surface. But I think it's also um, worth remembering that leading up to that, SOE, the big banks in China, uh, which, as we know, are all government-owned, they had been complaining for quite a while to the government that uh, Ant had a distinctively unfair advantage um, because its capital requirements were different from the capital requirements affecting the banks. And as a result of that, Ant Financial was, had been taking market share Uh, from the big banks, at least, uh, and from the banks in general for for quite a while, for a number of years. So I would tend to believe that there were, um, you know, at least two considerations that came to play. I think that the remarks that Jack Ma made were like the trigger but or the spark, if you want, but uh, that was a spark into what was already a fairly volatile environment because of what was seen as unfair competition. So today, Ant is uh, much smaller. Its scope has been uh, reduced somewhat. 
And I would guess that uh, the government now feels that it's probably okay. It plays an important role in in uh, in in the financial world in China. It's kind of been cleaned up. It's going to be independent from the man who was considered as having accumulated too much power. So it's kind of like, I think, you know, you've been in the doghouse for two years and you've cleaned up your act, not to uh, to use another word, hmm. and uh, now you're a good boy and um, we're going to let you continue, but it's smaller than what it was back then. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much smaller it is. Um, also, I mean, do you think the 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 you know the economy, uh, the and just sort of the broader regulatory environment in China has also changed a bit lately? It doesn't it seem like uh, the regulators are are letting up in general uh, on Chinese companies. Well, I think that there is some sort of a towing on the regulatory side in China with respect to a lot of things and a lot of sectors. Hmm. At least that's what the words are saying. We're going to have to see, though, once again, whether the messages that are coming from the government will actually really translate into positive action on the field once it goes into execution mode at different levels in in the structure of um, government in, in China. But it's, um, I think it's pretty clear that, to me at least, that regulators have realized that everything that they did did not necessarily produce very positive results. I would think it's going to be fairly easy for them, you know, eventually to do a bit of a um, of a change of direction and claim that, uh, you know, what they did was necessary and they've cleaned up and it's a different environment today. They've cleaned up a number of practices that they deem to be unsavory hmm. and uh, and now we're good and we can start moving again That's to right. some extent. They always do the wise thing and then uh, let things move on. So just quickly uh, to, to sort of wrap things up, I mean, uh, the, the big question now that everybody's asking is, you know, Ant's IPO, is that going to come back anytime soon? What do you see for that? And and if and when it comes back, what kind of form would it take, you know, in terms of location and fundraising amounts and, and so on and so forth? Well, I think where it will be, what kind of form, um, is obviously, uh, we'll have to see. But my understanding is there's this change of control actually creates a condition where Ant would not be able to list in China for three years and in Hong Kong for two years, according to the current rules of current regulations in place in both markets. Mm -hmm. You have to allow a certain amount of time after you change the controlling ownership of a company in a significant way. And I don't know, maybe maybe there's a bit of leeway around percentages and all of that. But this is this is a major change of ownership. So they will have to deal mm. with that. And my understanding right now is that uh, they could go to Hong Kong in about two years. They would may have to wait three years in China if regulations do not change. That's obviously something that management will have to decide. Once they go, though, I would expect that, uh, 
you know, if we look at two to three years down the road now and assuming that nothing goes wrong again with respect to auditing matters and all of that, I would expect that uh, they will have a successful IPO because, you know, in any case, it's, it's a big player. Uh, it's a dynamic player and there's a huge need in China for what they do. Okay. I was thinking maybe uh, it might be something sooner, but I guess these requirements mean it'll be at least two or three years off. Yeah, I mean, at least under current rules. Right, right. Okay. All right, well, let's let's leave it there. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll look at China's Lunar New Year travel rush, which is returning this year after a three-year hiatus. And we'll also look at the return of Australian coal to China after a similar break. Thanks for joining us today and hope to see you then. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.